0: In the previous episode, we saw how Shiram gets to terms with the meaning of real political power, and also understands Sita's pain. Now the story continues. mahmood entered Shiram's room and sprawled on his bed, emitting a long sigh. Ah, I'm really tired. I had gone to Lakshminarayan's village last weekend, and I have returned only today. Yes, Shehnaz told me that you had gone to watch Holi in Lakshminarayan's home. Shiram smiled at his friend's puzzled, round young face, framed with light blonde hair. Tell me, is Holi played with such abandon all over the country? Shiram had not yet recovered from the arrival and sudden departure of Sita. Yes, it is supposed to be played in all innocence and fun. But even here in the hostel, I saw the boys mix pang in the milk and the outcome was riotous. Some girls were went on laughing. Ravi, the boy on the ground floor room, spent the entire day with me, weeping. Strange to say, even Amrita arrived and threw colour on me and hugged me in the friendliest way. As if those women from Mita didn't happen. Maybe she had also had also Bapang Mahmud, the student from Iran, volunteered. Shenas told me that all these girls went on singing and dancing till early in the morning. Tell me, Mahmoud, what did you like about the village? Mahmoud stared into space for a bit, then stated, They appeared to be simple folk and very affectionate. I had a great time drinking the locally brewed alcohol. We were busy pouring buckets of coloured water from the rooftop on every unsuspecting passerby. The only thing I didn't like was that they kept insisting I was or would be the king of Iran. Shiram knew that Mahmud and his friends from Iran hated the present Shah and his atrocities. They probably said it out of affection. A king is a powerful person, you see. They wanted you to become one. Shiram offered by way of explanation. Yes, that reminds me, the Shah will be on a state visit to New Delhi. All students from Iran studying in India are going to come and protest in front of the Iranian embassy. Shiram, some of my friends will stay in your room, Mahmud informed him. As he got up to leave, he added, CRM is holding a meeting on the old campus. You know the left has always supported us. It's in the evening. I will pick you up. Oil has, as we know, been the principal fuel in figurative as well as literal terms of Iran's spectacular economic growth in recent years. Iran is the world's second largest exporter of oil and will probably remain so for the decade ahead. This is the main and perhaps the only reason for America's interest in Iran and support to the Shah. Sriram's calm voice filled the room as Shiram squeezed himself between two boys at the back of the hall. Overflowing with Iranian students, the young men and women were highly motivated in their desire to see the Shah out. Shiram marveled at their tenacity. He secretly hoped that these people would win. India and Iran have interacted with each other since time immemorial. During the post-independence period, their relations underwent a period of strain. In the 1950s, Indo-Iranian relations remained cool because of Iran's al- in li- alignment with the West and India's policy of non-alignment. Siram was calmly conducting a lecture and had everyone's undivided attention. Shiram wondered at a king who would generate so much hostility. Being a monarch was never an easy job. Shiram thought that he had faced only his stepmother KK's insecurity and Sita's wrath. The former he was able to placate, but the latter was too complicated to handle; besides, it had nothing to do with him as a head of state, more as a son and a husband. He asked Farzana gently, "Why doesn't the Shah resign and go off?" This was met with titters of laughter and looks of annoyance from others who felt it was disturbing the lecture. A tall bearded young man called out, "Shiram wants the Shah to resign; go away like a lamb." There was a great uproar in the hall. Shiram was unwittingly the cynosure of all eyes. He began in a trembling voice, "A king who has lost the popular mandate should voluntarily step down." The rest was drowned in the pandemonium that followed. Shiram was again part of yet another anti-government demonstration. This time his interest was academic. Shahnaz and Farzana, the two Iranian sisters, flanked him on either side. There were other Indian students he recognized as the usual SFI activists. The Shah's cavalcade was snaking its way in front of them. There was a huge cordon of burly cops holding these demonstrators at bay. Suddenly, a thin young man broke free and stood on the bonnet of the king's car. The might and brutal strength of the cops came down heavily on him. The young man was bodily lifted into a police jeep and whisked away. This time, Shiram was wiser and managed to lie down on the ground as the cops' rain blows in all directions. In the melee that followed, the cra- he crawled to a place of safety in a waiting rickshaw. So much for his education as a student in Chenyu. No sooner had he unlocked his room, Sainath rushed in. Srinath had, him- Sri had resigned himself to his room being used as a railway platform. But this young man was agitated. Sainath's unruly locks were more dishevelled than usual. A thin scrawny pup followed him. Sainath's eyes were blazing fire. Fardin dared to call Munya a piddling pup of the running dog of imperialism, just because Munya crept in front of his room. He went and complained to the warden that I was keeping a dog in my room. So Professor Sen got all dictatorial and ordered this poor pup out. The latter was busy wagging her tail and sniff sniffing hopefully inside Shiram's cupboard for some forgotten morsel. Shiram looked sympathetic, and after giving the matter some thought, he said. Professor Nair's son is very fond of dogs. Let's ask Yogi if he can keep her. Yogi was a seven-year-old son of Geeta Nair. He welcomed Munya and both of them were relieved. Geeta was a friendly person with an untidy mop of salt and pepper hair. She taught at the life sciences centre but had suddenly developed a passion for economics. She was trying to put forward a grand theory encompassing both life sciences and social sciences. She used to call Sri Ram over to her office to understand the finer nuances of economic thought. These meetings would extend to pleasant dinner invitations where other students would join in for a lively debate. Geeta was an indulgent and tolerant dog lover. The bond grew over time and Munya grew to be an active participant in family matters. She was class conscious, barking at the dhobi and gardener but wagging her tail in affection at all those dressed in jeans or trousers. She was partial to students welcoming them indiscriminately. As Dr. Nair, Jia's husband came at all odd hours. He was working in a hospital. The door was never locked. Once some students on the lookout for free alcohol came in and sneaked off with some of his expensive wines. Shiram noted that Munya had started looking rather too well-rounded. Other students noticed this fact as well. It was in the peak of summer when most students had gone home, including the obsessive Saina, that Munya became the proud mother of six pups. The pups delighted Yogi, feeding them from the bottle, holding them close in his arms even when he did his holiday homework. Waiting with eagerness and impatience for their eyes to open. Dr. Nair, his father, was away and attending a medical conference in the US. Eita Nair initially went into hysterics. I can't sleep with so much noise. I will go insane cleaning up after the pups. Not that she had to do anything. Her man Friday Shambuji did the needful. Except that he had begun looking unkempt and harried as the days went by, he had begun offering unpalatable-looking muddy brown dal's and sabzis for lunch and dinner. Breakfast was largely forgotten in the pursuit of Munia and her pups. Shiram often found Yogi just chewing pieces of bread with some sorry-looking banana. Not that the child minded. However, it was the final straw when one evening Shiram joined Professor Geeta for dinner and found that Shambuji had served them soya chunks reserved for Munya and her brood. He said in his defence, after Gita's frenzied outburst, that the pups had kept him awake the whole night and there were no vegetables left in the house. Yogi had vanished and Shiram offered to take the pups and Munya to Ramchandar Dahiya's home on the outskirts of Delhi. The professor looked mollified and Chambuji relieved at the turn of events. Shiram went up to Yogi's room. He found the child sobbing quietly under his bed, clinging to the weakest pup. Yogi, don't worry. They will be very well looked after in the village. Shiram spoke as reassuringly as he could. The boy shook his head. Even I am a stray. One day Ma will send me away when she gets tired of me. Shiram was shocked. Yes, Yogi was an adopted child. The Nair's had got him from an orphanage. Gita, who had followed him, looked mortified. When Gita attempted to soothe his fears yogi burst out you are always threatening to send Appa away you say this in is this is your house and you will not let him in shiram turned to leave just then the house was plunged in darkness shiram just check the fuse the lights are on everywhere else called out the professor yes ma'am i'll just see what can be done shiram fiddled with various connections in the electricity box in the torchlight held up by a tired looking shambuji and finally found the erring fuse. As the lights came on, he heard, Where's Yogi? Yogi? Geeta's voice was high-pitched and cracked. A frantic search ensued. Finally, they found him hiding behind some boulders in the large open space at the back of the house. A couple of pups playing at his feet. Geeta hugged Yogi, and somehow he didn't withdraw. Truce was maintained on the promise that she wouldn't send off the pups immediately. The weather had turned pleasantly cool in the evenings. Shiram normally kept his door open to allow cross ventilation. But This often led to people just drifting in. One day he looked up to see the thin face of Lakshmi Narayan peering into his. Kyahua Shiram had been taken aback at the silent entry and the anxiety of his friend. How should I begin? Lakshmi Narain looked around like a hunted animal. My room is overflowing with the people of my village. They have come to attend the Kisan rally of Chaudhry Karni Singh. He sounded desperate. Suddenly he asked, Can I stay the night in your room? I can't stand those men and their pride in narrow regional casteist chauvinism. We are a minority community and they are the dominant group. They always hate our progress and make life miserable for us. Then why do you let them stay in your room? Shiram Ram asked in wonder. The trouble is that they happen to be my father's friends. Rather, he does business with them. Shri sighed. He knew that Lakshmi Narayan's father was a moneylender. He nodded nodded his head and his friend appeared converted. Lakshmi Narayan was a very bright student winning scholarships right from his school days. The expectations are many. My parents only want me to become a collector, that is become an IS officer. He explained, noting Shri Ram's lack of comprehension. Although I cleared the exams for the army and now for various college lecturerships, yet they would not let me take them up. My father only wants me to write the IS exam. How can, we, how can I be sure that I will pass? I will be part of the vast unemployed army of educated youth. And how can I study when I have at least three people visiting me from the village every day? Shiram commented, I see you in the Sapru house library buried under huge tomes. I thought you were pursuing a research rather diligently. Lakshmi Narayan bowed his head in grief. Yes, I go there to escape the influx, only to find waiting for me in the evening when I have to face them. I eat the stale-packed lunch of bread and cutlets a hostel mess gives. Oh God, how much longer? His anguish is infectious. Shiram had a sudden vision of unending prosperity being showered on his young struggling friend. He smiled and predicted, Lakshmi, you will play in wealth. His friend shook his head in disbelief. The next morning, Shiram watched quietly as all the trolls strapping young men from Lakshmi's village filled the tables and feasted on milk and bread. At some vociferous protests from other inmates, the mess in charge stopped providing any more food. The situation turned riotous as some of the villagers collared the poor fat Vijayan, the mess in charge, threatening to clobber him. Lakshmi Narayan, looking unhappy and embarrassed, made some soothing gestures and herded his guests to the nearby Kamal complex. There, they gorged themselves on parathas and curd and appeared reasonably appeased as they boarded the bus leaving the campus for the boat club where the others had, who had come for the rally had congregated. Shiram was just as relieved as Lakshmi Narayan to see them go. Surprisingly, how sympathetic he felt, he shook himself. This wouldn't do. He had come here to prove that he was still as revered as before and not get involved with the affairs of human beings. Shiram was giving his views on truth and honesty in the Gandhi study circle now. Our objective is to let people live with dignity and self-respect and use knowledge rooted in native wisdom. I think that is what Gandhiji talked about. Gandhiji will be relevant forever. Ritu was backing him encouragingly. She was the president of the study circle and took life rather seriously. Always dressed in cotton saris or khadi salwar suits and sporting the black owl glasses of the Gandhian era, she stood out like a sore thumb amidst the other young women. She was quite possessive of Shri Ram, assuming charge of his life and always guiding him on how to eat and what to eat, on what to think and how to think. Her hair smelled distinctly of stale mustard oil, sweat and water. Shri Ram was grateful to her, particularly after the Sita episode. He made a special effort to attend all their talks and seminars. In fact, He had sat through all, from Gandhi and imperialism to Gandhi and the present debt problem. He knew trouble lay in store for him, as he was a particular favourite of the Marxist study circle as well. Ranjit Oberoi had insisted that he become a regular member and was pleased with the progress of his protégé. Shiram had become sufficiently proficient to deliver a lecture now. Marx and Gandhi, their relevance in the present political-economic scenario. It had been well attended as there were many well known marxist thinkers who were participating. Shiram found that his views were taken seriously and were received and he received much kudos as a precise thinker. "You're serious about your research?" Ramchandra Sen asked him abruptly in the dhaba. Shiram looked up puzzled. "Yes, why?" "Why don't you go try and go abroad? You will get a scholarship. A stamp from outside will take you places." Shiram pondered over it. "What about you? Why don't you go to Cambridge?" Ramchandra Sen looked over his shoulder and then came closer and said in a stage whisper, "Don't tell anyone, but I'm actually seriously preparing the UP for the UPSC exam. My father insists that that's the only respectable job to have." Shiram looked up, surprised. This was news. Here he was, a brilliant scholar; his research articles had already been published abroad. Taking up a dull office job? With that, Sen hurried off to his room. Shiram had been feeling rather uneasy of late. His meetings with his guide had been few and not very illuminating. Maybe he should try writing the UPSC. It would help him check out his old administrative skills. Give up research for some time. The entire environment was infectious. Everyone was writing the UPSC exams. It was a national pastime. If one didn't, then one felt left out, as Shiram discovered, when the dhobi got his clothes mixed up with that of Anant Modi, whose room was number 309. Sutlej, Shiram the 309 Ganga. The dhobi was common to both. So Shiram offered to go and get his own clothes back and deliver Anand's clothes as well, only to find a notice in red on the door which said, Do not disturb, studying continuously for 24 hours. Shiram came back without having dared to knock. The next day he tried again. The notice said, Studying continuously for 36 hours. Shiram was impressed by the dedication. Yes, studying for UPSC called for hard work. At too brutus. Sirohi slapped Shiram hard on the shoulder when he discovered that both of them had the same centre for the prelim exam. The same goes for you too, exclaimed Shiram, equally surprised to find a committed comrade writing the exam. What to do? My mother is very upset with my political activities. Besides, she will not let me marry Amrita without a regular job. Not that I will pass the exam, but anything to keep Ma happy. Shiram Ram drew a deep breath and concentrated on answering the questions. Surprise, surprise screamed everyone when Shiram's Ram's roll number on the list was put up at Dhalpur House, the office of the UPSC. He had gone rather reluctantly with Ram Chandra Sen and Sirohi to find out the results. The other two appeared so envious and woe that Shiram Ram began to feel guilty and uncomfortable at his own success and their failure. A little way ahead, Anand Modi sat with his head in his hands and his body shook with dry sobs. So much for his uninterrupted studying. Shiram wished he had also failed. He was infected by the general misery. Clearing the prelims made matters complicated for Shiram. Now he was torn between trying to study for the mains and his research. Luckily, Lakshmi Narayan had passed, and so had a dozen of other young men from the reserved category. They all gravitated towards his room, airing their anxieties and dreams. I will marriage, marry for a huge dowry once I get into the eyes, declared Prabhu Ram. Aren't you married already? inquired Sri Ram gently. So what? That was a child marriage. She's illiterate. Now I will get an educated wife, he winked and grinned toothily. Sri Ram sighed. He thought that being married once was trouble enough. Paigami is illegal, declared Ram Chandra Dahiya, entering the room suddenly. You can be sent to jail. Prabhu Ram got up and left the room in a hurry. Dahiya settled himself on the bed and cleared his throat. So you are writing the AUPS exam? <clears throat> good, good. Finally, sense has prevailed on you. Receiving no reply, he went on. Professor Cha was unhappy with your research. He was complaining that you don't turn up for meetings fixed long in advance. You have been absenting yourself from the weekly seminars as well. Shiram opened his mouth in protest, then it, realizing that Dahiya was trying to bait him. Just then, Sia Ram Pillai and some other young men and women entered. Sri Ram, you're just the right candidate for us from the School of Social Sciences, declared Sia Ram with conviction and childlike charm. Shri Ram was truly horrified. Writing the UPSC was one thing and canvassing for elections quite another. No, no, I don't think I can manage, he began rather weakly. I'm strongly identified with the Gandhians. Besides, who will vote for me? Shiram smiled his boyish smile. You have nothing to worry. Marks to Gandhi is the most common cry. You will get votes from all sections of the students. Besides, the party will campaign for you. The long-forgotten buzzing began in his ears and there was Sita goading him on to find out his popularity at the polls. That did it. He would show her that he could even win an election. He took a deep breath. Yes, I will contest, but only on the condition of standing as an independent candidate. As the room emptied, Shriram Chandra Dhaiya cleared his throat and began. So now it's elections as well. You really are a lucky dog. Oh yes, we will work out the modalities. You will be an independent candidate with SFI support. Siram was all smiles as he patted Sriram on the back. Shiram looked up surprised. Ah Don't look so innocent. You want to have the entire cake. Research scholarship, becoming an IS officer and now winning the elections. His resentment was too obvious. Don't worry, I will not get the job. I will lose the elections and my scholarship will be discontinued because of my poor academic performance, Shiram stated in a matter-of-fact manner. It was with mounting excitement that Shiram went about campaigning. He was surprised to note how deeply involved he had become in the entire process. It was a heady feeling, being recognized as a good debater, logical speaker and calm thinker. Under the most vitriolic criticism, he maintained a stoic calm. Sriram was quick to encourage him. He was gaining stature as a dependable student leader. But getting votes was a different game. The last few days, all the pretty girls of the party were pitching in for their candidates. Sriram had Amrita and a whole gaggle of pretty young girls from the languages school going on a door-to-door campaign. Similarly, good-looking youths with persuasive charm also went about collaring unsuspecting girls to vote for their party. The rival parties groaned at the onslaught. The youth congress and the youth wing of the Janata Dal just could not match the energy. Those were the days free of big money and muscle power on the campus. Yes, the last few days went by in a delirium of activity. The counting late at night and the triumphant victory procession was one of the few memories that Shri Ram treasured in later years. He almost lost to a very beautiful young woman called Meher Burucha. On the first count, they were neck to neck. Then Shri Ram was declared the winner by just five votes. The SFI was wildly jubilant and the air was rent with LAL SALAM! LAL SALAM! In spite of the entire din, he could hear the buzzing in his ears. Sita's deep disappointment at his slender victory. So now, you know how wildly popular you are and how many votes are due to the energetic Amrita and a pretty team. This dampened his delight. After a month of the election, Shiram was trying hard to study his history for the impending UPSC exam. Added was the worry of producing a sample questionnaire to his guide who wanted to hurry things up as he, Dr. Cha was going to a year's, on a year's leave to Vienna University on a visiting professorship. It was two in the morning and Shiram was trying hard to keep his eyes open when Sriram walked in with the other councillors. What's wrong? You didn't come for the councillors' meeting tonight. You have not done any work at the students' union. Do you know what? We have called for a strike due to the inaction of the government against the former VC and his stooges. Here, sign this. Shiram put his squiggle on a notification condemning the present government at the centre. Tomorrow's meeting is a general body meeting. You better be present. The GBM as expected was a stormy one. The majority supported the students' strike, but what they had not foreseen was the reaction of the authorities. It was swift and sudden. The university was declared closed. The students were asked to vacate their rooms, and to top it all, the students' union was dismissed. Sriram got up to see the notice in bold letters asking the students to clear the hostels pasted prominently on each floor. They are going to target all students appearing for the UPSC, remarked a worried Lakshminarayan. How? asked Sri Ram. They will check our attendance and know that we are not serious about our academic careers. I have registered for the fifth semester and am repeating a few papers but do not attend classes. Lakshmi Narayan appeared really worried. They will close the mess on the library. Ram Chandra Dahiya seemed to be enjoying the sudden change in his routine. Will you go home? Still well Romanthu inquired. Home? No, no. I have volunteered to do library duty. Now the students of will run the mess and library themselves. Shiram walked slowly towards the mess. He saw his name was put up on the mess committee notice. But I don't know how to cook, he exclaimed. Sarohi so smiled. There are enough cooks and with daily wage laborers we will manage to clean up. All you have to do is manage the accounts. Shiram was rather relieved. He would come to know the risks associated with money and accounts later. Initially, it was all fun and games. Nobody vacated the rooms, new romances blossomed over late-night library duties, the mess food was slightly tastier with new cooks trying out their culinary skills. After a week, there was a sudden commotion on the campus. Convoys of police jeeps entered and the tough-looking cops started throwing students' stuff out of the rooms. Some ran away, locking their doors only to have them broken and their bedding and books flung out. Shiram tried to talk to the cops, but they were unwilling to listen. He was among a fortunate few who were spared, as he was a bona fide research student whose guide was going on long leave and who therefore was obliged to work quickly. The cops had information on every student. The girls' hostel was completely empty, save for a few with authentic reasons for staying on. The VC decided to really act tough. Cops were posted on campus to check that orders were carried out. He saw Amrita coming in. She encountered a top cop with a leering expression who barred her way. Girls are not allowed into the boys' hostel, he declared, grinning at her appreciatively. Amrita was not to be cowed. I have come to meet my brother Shri Ram. He allowed her in with reluctance. As she entered Sri Ram's room, she shut the door behind her. Listen, they will be arresting all the student leaders tonight. So if you have any place to go to, please go. Sirohi has left and so has Sia Ram. It's like the emergency all over again. But we are wiser and better prepared. With that, he saw her marching off to yet another boy's hostel, Satu. Shiram wondered what he should do. This was probably the best opportunity to go back from where he had come. He was tired of proving his point to Sita. He had failed on all counts. Yet, how could he leave the struggle at this juncture? He had become drawn to these students and their cause. Ramchandra Dahiya appeared. Hey Shri Ram, where are you planning to go? I can't go home as I am wanted in a murder case back in my village. Ram Chandra sen was packing his bags as they went morosely down the stairs. You guys can stay with me in my flat till this trouble blows over, he called out. Both looked at him in surprise. My father's government flat is empty and he's posted with the IMF in New York. At their continued amazed silence, he admitted wryly, Okay, I hate being alone. So the three Rams went off to genuine amicable mood. Epilogue, year 2005. Shiram watched how later this very fiery leader, who was to support a Congress led coalition at the centre, was this a difference between strategy and tactics? Shiram wondered. This was justified in the name of tactics. The lunatic right wing extremists had to be kept out. The left had to maintain its identity so as to protect increasing prices of petrol, gas, and diesel. A post-selling of public sector monoliths, Shiram laughed at the cynical posture of his old friends. Shiram's position had been reduced to being a dhabawala outside the party office in Delhi. The years have not treated him too kindly. His head is grey and balding. A few teeth are missing as well. A woman entering the party office gives him a piercing look. She appears to recognize him. Satyavati had been a student when Shiram was operating a dhaba near the campus, new campus years ago. He had never completed his thesis. He gave up on trying to get research scholarships. The campus life held him enthralled. He had won his bet with Sita. He had been admitted to the university. Shiram had even discovered that some students, despite their left-wing leanings, believed in God but he stayed on as a timeless chaiwala outside the campus. She then had long hair tied in two plates, deep dimple and laughing eyes which held rainbow-coloured dreams. He wouldn't blame Aisram for falling in love with her. Although he, Sriram, was a married man and father of twin boys, maybe secretly, he was a little in love with her himself. He remembered the day it had been raining heavily. She had come to the dhaba and asked for a cup of tea. It cost only 50 paise then. Satya had 10 paise extra. Her lilting voice floated on his memory still. Bhaiya, can I get anything for 10 pesa? Ram wished he could shower her with all the gifts in the world with the 10 paise. But the practical economics of survival forced him to speak grimly of one coffee and toffee and khuda being available for 10 pesa. Satya had appeared disappointed but readily accepted the reality. S. Ram had sidled towards her and commented, See, gods can be bought so cheaply. It went without saying that S. Ram sipped most of her tea and she was left only with the drags. She had been working for her research under his guidance apparently. Now she was a regular at the party office and handled the media. S. Ram had graded in a distinctive professorial way. It made him even more attractive, combined with the trait of being able to hard-sell an idea estranged from the social-economic realities of India. As he slowly climbed the Politburo ladder, the general public were not too concerned. His job as a professor at JNU ensured that his theories had a captive audience. However, with the CPM supporting the Congress, Government and the Centre, he was a man to watch out for. At fifty-five, Estam was pretty young to be General Secretary. The biological antiquity proved one's ideological identity. His role in the government uh, was to protect the interests of the proletariat from the cannibalistic capitalistic forces. Speech given by Esram, the presidential candidate in his student days, rang clearly in Sri Ram's year. Democracy's ideals are broadly covered by the idea of government of the people, for the people, and by the people. They include political characteristics that can be seen in the freedom of expression, public accountability of leaders and an equal distribution of power. Democratic institutions also include such instrumental arrangements like constitutional rights, responsive electoral systems, functioning parliaments and assemblies, open and free media. Comrades, we we are being witness to the most autocratic subversion of democratic institutions. These free thinkers are all stooges of the Congress or country would have not had to suffer the emergency when there was strict censorship on the media. We didn't have any constitutional rights and we had to watch the channels and the spectacle of Parliament which is a mockery of democracy. Shiram shook his greying head as he saw S. Ram being followed by a battery of press photographers and stepping into a white ambassador with a red light, the ultimate symbol of authority.